This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. I'm looking forward for today's episode. We are talking about changes in sweat biomolecule levels during exercise. And while this might not at first sound super interesting, it actually is. And we are going to talk also about why is that. Our guest is making her second appearance in this podcast. She's working as a postdoc at Gerontology Research Center at University of Uvascular, Finland. She's doing research on skeletal muscle and hormonal aging. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm honored to introduce our guest, Dr. Sira Karvinen. Welcome, Sira. Thank you. It's good to be back. Great to have you. So, so you have been, we have been discussing about skeletal muscle and hormonal aging before, and now we are discussing about sweat. So why is it important to study, study sweat? Well, um, in terms of exercise, since that's probably the main topic people are interested uh, when they listen to this podcast, well, sweating is important part of thermoregulation. And since the evaporation of sweat from skin surface lowers the body temperature. And of course, this is important during exercise as well as during um, in hot environments. And uh, since sweat is kind of a natural byproduct of exercise, um, it would be nice if we can find something that we could, you know, use for detecting, for instance, the exercise intensity, since sweat can be collected non-invasively. So it would be very convenient to collect, for instance, to use instead of blood. Mm. So how how did you end up studying this sweat? How, how did you start this project? Well, that's a very good question. Um, actually, the big names behind this sweat project are professors Seppo Vainio and Urho Kujala. And uh, first, Professor Vainio suggested to harvest sweat samples from athletes. And then um, Urho Kujala built a team at the University of Uvascula. And uh, this project was funded by Business Finland, and um, it included this collaboration where we planned and harvested sweat during exercise protocols. And um, the original idea uh, was that the most of the analysis will be done at Oulu University, and so it will be. So later on, we will hear probably more comprehensive analysis from the Oulu University side. But then um, we came up with our own uh, small side project as we were um, in this project that focused on um, extracellular vesicles and microRNAs in sweat. And in in our small side project, we used only a very small volume of the sweat and then also compared that to the serum samples that we had from the same subjects. So basically, it was already a moving train when I hopped in, and uh, I started being a supervisor of the um, master student in this project, who was Tero Sievanen, 
And um, we ended up having such great results that we thought that why not turn it into a one publication? Mm, interesting. So you you mentioned that one of the fun, uh, funding bodies for this was Business Finland. Could you could you tell why would Business Finland fund this kind of project? Well, um, since I'm not in the board of Business Finland financial things, probably I'm not the best person to answer. And um, maybe, of course, the professors who applied for the funding would would know better. But of course, there's the chance that um, with our results, the um, research of non-invasive um, exercise monitoring systems would take a big leap towards uh, developing actual systems that people could buy and use as they exercise. So I suppose this was the idea behind the whole project. Mm. So practical, uh, practical uh, implications in this study. So uh, how do you actually collect sweat? Um, I have read and heard of several ways how to collect it, and this can include anything from dripping sweat from the forehead and face into a beaker, or collecting it to a small lab tubes, or even sanitary towels. Um, However, the whole body washdown is considered the most accurate method because there is the sweat runoff from the entire body surface area is collected and uh, also it does not interfere with normal evaporative sweating. But And since um, some of the listeners might not, might not be familiar with these methods, um, so when you want to do a whole body washdown of sweat, It involves a construction of a plastic frame that supports a, basically a large plastic bag within the subject exercises. And um, then after the exercise is completed, then the, also the subject and the equipment, again, is washed with water to, to harvest all the sweat. But as you can understand, um, the whole body wash town requires a very well-controlled laboratory, a unique laboratory setting, I would say. Mm. So therefore, in, in most studies, sweat is collected from one or more uh, small regions of the body. So the whole body wash town is less used. But when you want to harvest the regional sweat, um, then... Of course, you again have several techniques, so you can either scrape it or drip it or use filter paper and um, some kind of arm bags. And there are also commercial sweat collectors available. Mm, very, very interesting. So did I understand right that in the whole body wash off, you put, put the participant in a, in a plastic bag in a way? That's how I have understood. I must say I have only read about this. I haven't seen it actually take place, but that's how how it was described. All right. Yeah. And and if if you going for some practical applications, probably this whole body wash off is not one of them. So what are the limitations and strengths of different methods of collecting sweat? Well, of course, If you want to do the whole body, if you're capable of doing the whole body washdown, um, then it's considered like the golden standard. And you get the sweat from all over the body. It doesn't disturb your sweating process whatsoever. Uh, but mm. of course, it's probably not the most convenient for the subject. And uh, 
So it has the limitations, of course, of uh, how many subjects you can take in. And uh, of course, how is it then, how could you translate that to something that people could use in their everyday life? Uh, it's kind of hard to see, at least right now. But then if we talk about the regional sweat collection, uh, that's very practical in many cases. And of course, depending on the method, there is some limitations. And for example, if you cover the skin surface uh, with a collection system that is basically like a plastic thing, um, it can alter the local environment and it can affect, of course, the skin temperature when it's put inside a plastic bag, for instance, your arm. So it affects the local local area. Um, on the other hand, if you use a kind of open air collection techniques, which would be basically the scraping and dripping, um, it does allow the evaporation of water from the sweat. So basically then, then the sweat that you're harvesting isn't quite the same that you would get if, if the water is still there with the ratio it's used to. Mm. And which, which of these methods you are using in, in your study? Um, in our study, um, we use the regional sweat collecting. And since we have the bike ergometer for our tests, so the gloves was the most convenient and maybe the you know, most practical way of harvesting the sweat. So we use just basically veterinary gloves that would cover the hands and the arms of the subject. And of course, as the subject spike, so the hands are relatively still there when they bike. So, so that was for, for our setup, the most practical location to harvest the sweat. Mm. So, so you are collecting from the arms and hands and do you just let the sweat to drop on something or how, how do you do it? I didn't fully get it. Yeah, basically uh, when you, you put the gloves on the first uh, subjects, of course, they need to wash the hands with rinse with water and with a brush so that they don't have any, anything that could contaminate our results. And then you put on the gloves and then you need to tape them, of course, so that it's kind yeah. of, uh, it's not open system. So they're basically covered in plastic bags, the hands and arms, and then the sweatshirt strips. So basically mm -hmm. in the end, we just spin the gloves, <laughs> the sweat will be at the finger, very fingertips of the glove. And then we can pipe at them out from there. Mm. All right. Int interesting. And and how is it with different location where you harvest the sweat? Is is it different in in its constitution from different locations? Well, uh, unfortunately, it is. So um, our results might be different if we use some other location. And the most um, known differences are that there are basically two different kinds of sweat glands. So there are eccrine and apocrine um, glands and these eccrine glands occur over most of your body and they open directly onto the surface of the skin and uh, also the eccrine sweat glands are the most numerous and they are responsible for the highest volume of sweat that you produce during exercise or in hot environment whereas the apocrine glands 
uh, they open into the hair follicle actually, and that leads to the surface of the skin. So basically those are the glands that you have in your armpits, for instance. So um, it is um, well documented that many sweat micronutrients, for instance, vary depending on the anatomical site where it's uh, harvested from. And then, of course, um, depending on the area, there might be something in the skin surface that uh, contaminates or impacts the sweat sample um, that you harvest. So there are differences. Yeah. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian, a research device that has been shown to be valid in tracking sitting, standing, physical activity and energy expenditure. Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibian at fibian.com slash research. Fibian, from researchers to researchers. And probably if you think of practical applications, probably a wrist-worn device could be could be a good solution as, as you have already smartwatches and different running computers or whatever you would like to call them. So... And you are you are collecting from the wrist. Uh, how how do you see? Could you get better data from other locations, or do you think that the wrist is is a good good location? To be honest, I really don't know. I don't think we have a comprehensive data of um, you know comparing different locations in terms of exercise and what kind of response you get. Um, but if we think of, um, for instance, um, the problem is normally that you don't have sufficient amount of sweat because there's not much analytes. So in that sense, I'm not sure if wrist would be the best, whether people sweat enough from that area. So I would think that's my first concern. Mm. And then the second one would be that what are the results um, if we take it from wrist or if we take it from, for instance, you know, forehead or something that a runner or a skier or whoever could actually wear something there. Mm. And and when you analyze, how much do you basically need with current technologies? How much do you need sweat to be able to analyze it accurately? Well, it depends a lot what you're looking at. And... Um, for instance, many of the previous sweat studies have concentrated on the proteomics or the metabolomics of sweat. And then you need tens of mil milliliters. And normally that means also that you need to pool the samples. You know, you don't get enough from one study subject. So you probably need to pool sweat. And of course, that's not... Um, a good thing if if we want to measure a single person. But for instance, um, as we started our study, uh, we wanted to check the microRNAs since the good thing, or there are many good things, they have been studied a lot in relation to exercise. And then also, um, since you can measure those with PCR, so then basically the method that we use is to amplify um, the amount of the analytes that we have there. So with our method, since it's um, based on amplifying the signal, basically, we can mm -hmm. use only one ml of sweat. 
So that's a very small amount of sweat that we used in our study. Mm. And and so when you actually analyze sweat, what does it actually consist of? Well, sweat is, of course, it's mainly water, but then it also contains uh, electrolytes such as sodium and chloride and other micronutrients, for instance, calcium, magnesium, some vitamins as well. And then the metabolites that have been studied previously, such as glucose and lactate, which is interesting in terms of exercise. Uh, Of course, there's amino acids and there's also other compounds with very small amounts, such as um, cytokines and cortisol. So there's many analytes to look at. It's just that there's there's which such small amounts that it needs a very um, a large amount of sweat and then a very accurate methods to actually get a signal from there. Mm. And and what do you see as the most interesting things to look look at? Um, well, there could be many things. Um, so far, the literature thus far um, hasn't found very promising, for instance, metabolites that would, um, you know, reflect the intensity of the exercise, for instance. So it hasn't shown to be very um, accurate. And then also lactate would be interesting in terms of exercise, uh, since of like most of the listeners probably know that you uh, measure the lactate from the blood uh, with, for instance, um, in competitive runners or cyclists or whoever does exercise in high end intensity to design the exercise training regimen and the race pace, for instance. So it would be very practical if we could, for instance, measure the lactate from sweat. Um, however, um, Sweat lactate concentration generally does not correlate well with that um, of mm. the blood. And uh, at least to some part, apparently, it's due to that the sweat gland itself also produces lactate. So there's a lot of interference going on there. So hence, mm. for instance, what we studied were the microRNAs. And... Um, at least to us, our results were quite promising. Um, however, in terms of talking about um, um, future non-invasive monitoring systems, I am not sure if if we can find out a way to de- detect those robustly from sweat. So there are many mm-hmm. things that we can study, and and but there hasn't been like a great success with any of these but uh, hopefully we'll get there mm. and and why did you go and start studying the micro rna in, in your exercise study setup what was the reasoning behind this uh well um first of for those who are not familiar with micro rnas so um those are a small non-coding rna molecules um the function of those microRNAs is that they bind to its target messenger RNA, and hence they block the protein translation. So it alters the gene expression in a post-transcriptional level, and that's the function of those. Um, microRNAs, um, in terms of exercise, have been widely studied, but in plasma. 
So um, there are several microRNAs that give a response to exercise stimulus and um, especially in endurance exercise stimulus. And hence, those are kind of promising biomarkers, at least in plasma of the exercise. And then also microRNAs, because they're short, so they are very promising in if we talk about acute exercise responses, because they're fast to produce. And then cells um, either secrete them into the bloodstream to communicate with other tissues, and then they're also actively packed into these uh, vesicles and then transported to target tissues. And microRNAs have several functions. Um, and of the microRNAs that we studied here in our study were well-known exercise-responsive microRNAs. Uh, that have that function, for instance, in inflammation or hypoxic adaptations, and many of them were mediators of angiogenesis. So uh, since they were very well documented in, in serum or plasma already to respond to endurance exercise, uh, these were the ones that we uh, handpicked kind of based on previous literature and see whether we can find them in sweats and whether we could see some kind of response also in sweat. Mm. And and what do you see as the most promising markers in, in general, also in plasma from um, mRNA? Um, well, that's a kind of tricky question. <laughs> There's so many. Um, if we, you ask in terms of plasma or? Yeah, yeah, like in, in general, you said that some of them uh, respond to inflammation some to hypoxia what do you see from practical point of view that what are the most most interesting or promising biomarkers well that's a tough question because it's many many to choose from um, microRNA 21 is probably the one most studied one because it also responds to various kind of stresses so it doesn't have to be exercise it can be just some kind of stress do the body, whereas microRNA one four six is probably the most um, cited in in terms of exercise and especially in endurance exercise. And it also it it in it, both of those are involved in inflammation and hypoxic adaptations. So those would be the two that you most commonly find in literature. And also the microRNA21 is kind of fun for the reason that basically you can find it anywhere. So mm. if you just want to check if there are microRNAs, normally we check the microRNA21. But of course, then it can respond to various stressors. So it would be nice to find a microRNA that is more specific to certain kind of exercise stimulus, for instance. So in that sense, I'm tempted to say, for instance, microRNA one four six, for now at mm. least. <laughs> mm. All right, and and in your study when you were analyzing the sweat, what were your main findings? Uh, well, we were the first to show <laughs> that the sweat uh, extracellular vesicles contain microRNAs, since no one had studied this before. Um, so that was kind of cool finding. Um, first of all, and we were actually able to find all of the microRNAs that we had in our study in sweat 
uh, extracellular vesicles. Um, and also, we found that two of the six microRNAs that we had handpicked um, responded at least to one of the exercise regimen that we had. And um, of these microRNAs, the microRNA 26 was actually, that was very abundant also in sweat. So it increased in sweat vesicles as the exercise intensity increased. So I think that's the most promising um, finding that we had from sweat. Mm. So the mRNA26 increased with the intensity, you mean like uh, when the heart rate goes up or the lactate or which, which part of the exercise intensity it kind of responds or relates to? Mm. Well, it depends probably, it might depend also at the study subject, but going from since we had uh, basically uh, four different um, or three different exercise regimen and then we had the sauna control. So mm. here I'm referring to that they have the um, anaerobic um, threshold test, uh, which was done at the aerobic threshold and then anaerobic threshold test, and then the VO2 max, which is, of course, all-out kind of test. So moving on from the aerobic to anaerobic to VO2 max, it increases. Mm, in interesting. So how, how do you see the practical applications? Do you see this could be used somehow to measure the intensity of the, of the exercise? Well, it does look promising, uh, at least. Of course, um, our study was done only with eight subjects, so it has its limitations. However, uh, already with the end of eight, we were able to have significant results. So, so it's kind of a limitation. And then again, it's kind of a very promising that we can see it already with such a small n. So I would call this um, like a preliminary data or a preliminary study. So first we should check this with larger population if we can see the same finding. And then, then probably we could go on digging more into um, whether this microRNA26 actually is something to look forward to in future. And whether it's worth to start developing systems that could actually detect. Mm. And and now as you are looking for the microRNAs, how how difficult is it to analyze them? Like if we think of of a wearable in the future, how how do you see this? When could this kind of thing be be ready? It's very difficult to say. Now the system that we have been using is basically it's a very um commonly used lab technique but of course it's something that doesn't take place in your watch you know for instance mm. so you would need something else a detector that binds to it and then gives some kind of signal um that that the microRNA exists in the sample and uh, i'm not sure how easy that is to develop however mm. um Techniques take leaps forward, you know, I don't know whether it's every year, but but probably something that can be solved. Mm. But 
I'm not probably the person who is going to do that. So I'm going to stick with the <laughs> research or the basic research and then someone else can maybe put their brains and mind into this developing uh, variable sensors. Yeah, I, I understand that. So so you said that this, your part, your paper was a small part and, and they are doing the bigger part in Oulu. Could you could you tell more about this bigger project? What are they, they looking from, from sweat? Uh, well, they will have more comprehensive analysis since, um, of course, from the arms, you can harvest several milliliters of sweat. And we saved only a small portion for us. And so far, we have used only the one milliliter of that. So they will have a lot more to work with. So what we're looking forward is to hear something about the protein profiling, for instance, from the sweat. But we just don't have it quite yet. So we're very much looking forward to their analysis. And uh, I'm not sure how much I can tell about it. Mm, yeah, yeah, I I understand. So so what do you see as the biggest challenges when you are studying sweat? Well, of course, first, uh, how how do you harvest it? Of course, there are already the wearable sensors that have some kind of um, capillary tube or um, filter paper. So. Basically, you can harvest sweat, but then it comes to the small amount of the analytes. So, um, for instance, if you want to study the protein profile of sweat, then you need several mLs or tens of mLs of sweat. So that's not very convenient for the user who's using it. So I think it's mainly for the analyzing the analytes so it needs to detect very small amount of analytes and in a robust way so i think those are the main challenges right now mm. and and now your your study is about exercise part do you do you see some other applications for for analyzing sweat for example in in relation to health and disease or something else uh well yes uh, sweat is currently, for instance, used, for example, the diagnosis of cystic fibrosis. And to my understanding, that is uh, currently the only um, like health or disease-related method that sweat is used for. But um, for, for the sweat test of the cystic fibrosis, it measures the amount of chloride so which is a part of the salt in sweat. And uh, it's actually the golden standard for the diagnosis right now. So it is used for one disease so far, but I don't know whether whether it could use for other diseases as well. And of course, well, in sweat, um, certain drugs, if you use them, they accumulate into sweat as well as ethanol, for instance. So, so use something else for as well mm, yeah in, interesting so how how do you see the future of sweat-based analytics in in exercise and also in in other fields mm, well in terms of uh, exercise for instance since that's what we studied here um 
if we want to use the sweat as substitute of serum or blood sampling. Uh, so we need to bear in mind um, that, um, for instance, what we found was that the um, extracellular vesicle population in sweat is different that, from that of serum. And as I said, for instance, the lactate production of the, of the sweat gland in itself, um, it makes it difficult for it to be um, as a substitute of serum. And um, um, of course, um, when we saw that two out of the six microRNAs studied in our project gave actually a response to exercise in sweat, it mm. is kind of a promising signal. And, um, but um, the problems really in the future would be um, how you collect the sweat and where you collect it from. And of course, the, the fact that can we, and when we can um, detect so small amount of the analytes. And of course, what is the target? Will it be the microRNA? Is that the most promising thing? so far or could we actually um, get some metabolite or something else or a protein or something that could be more interesting and maybe easier to detect from sweat so mm. hopefully we will have answers to this when we get the more comprehensive analysis yeah and and if I go a little bit back, you said that some of the microRNAs are responsive to inflammation. Mm. So do do you see a response already during exercise in the in the inflammation? Or how, how how does it go? Well, it de it depends on the person probably and the exercise intensity, but of course, um, exercise is known to cause. Um, mild uh, inflammatory responsive um, markers as well so it kind of mm. makes sense that also the inflammatory or inflammation related microRNAs respond to exercise but it probably depends also on the person and what they have done before and how the body responds to exercise and how intense that is so it's probably hard to say um, whether everybody responds the same. Mm. But but anyway, it for some people it can be so fast that already during exercise you can see it see you can you can see the inflammation response in the microRNA. Did I understand it correctly? Well, at least in the microRNA side, like I said, the microRNAs are very fast response. So um, they're kind of the very beginning. Of, of certain um, signaling roads. So at least you can see the very beginning of, of that signaling road. But of course, then we need to bear in mind that the micro, these are kind of the um, functions of the microRNAs that we know so far. And microRNAs are not gene specific. So one microRNA mm. can bind to several messenger RNAs. So what we say inflammation here might be something else in the body since we don't know yet everything it controls. So this is just our educated guess of what is it uh, doing in the body when we see a response. Mm. Do you plan to have other protocols? Now you have the endurance exercise. I'm, I'm thinking like, 
for example, sledge uh, counter movement jumps, which would definitely create a breakdown of muscle tissue or some micro damage, which would be inflammation. So maybe with this, you could check that is it is it probably related to inflammation or, or muscle damage, micro damage? Well, that's a good good idea. And uh, to be honest, we had some of the study subjects doing leg press for sweating. Mm. And what I heard, it was quite awful for them because <laughs> it's very heavy, you know. Yeah. And to make it so much that you can actually harvest sweat. But unfortunately, we had so small N that we couldn't run analysis from that. But yeah, we could definitely go into those samples and, you know, take a look. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it could be because, for example, in strength training, if, you, if you're looking for hypertrophy, your kind of idea is to cause micro damage in the, in the muscle. And one of the stimuli for the muscle growth is, is inflammation. So maybe you could, you could create a wearable... A device for the strength training people and and right now they don't have too many wearables that would actually work for them because they are mainly about aerobic exercise yes you're right and you know it could be done yeah yeah so maybe the strength training people are getting excited of the wearable coming so they can see how much they are producing <laughs> micro damage in their in their muscles so uh, it's been interesting discussion is there something else you would like to add into this discussion um i don't think so i think we're we have covered it quite well mm. yeah i i i agree and and you're doing very interesting research is there some kind of collaboration you are looking for is there some kind of institutes you would like to collaborate within this this project well i'm always looking for collaboration um i'm not sure though with the world situation right now how well it could happen but for instance um we still have some of the sweat samples left so if someone is interested if you have a great idea of what to what to look for and you would be interested to collaborate in analyzing it, we'd be happy to discuss. Hmm. Yeah, very, very interesting things. So thank you, Sira, for taking the time for this, this podcast episode. No problem. It was my pleasure. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be great help for us we have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes so be sure to tune in thank you all for your support and have a great day